This is Pound in Victory. I want to thank everybody for uh, checking in with us again on the podcast. And uh, it's a beautiful day out, sun shining, rain stopped. Mm-hmm. And we're happy to be with everyone. Got the same crew here. My wife, Lynette, sitting here looking at me. And uh, Chrissy and Carlos are here with us. Yep. <clears throat> People don't know me by that name. How do they know you? By my government name. <laughs> oh. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a familial name. How did you land on that? Was it just popular at the time? Or were you a big Three's Company fan? Who are you talking to? You. Three's Company? Who's mm-hmm. that? You know, the show? Yeah, but I don't remember what, what was on They it. had Janet and Chrissy and... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack. Okay. Is that who you named? Never had my mind on that at all. Come and knock on our door. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, didn't have a thing to do with that. I love that show. I just liked Christina. Yeah. Yeah. But you didn't like Christiana. Uh, Never heard of her. Mom liked that name. Well, you she, change it. Did you feel the axis of the earth change and shift there? Because mom rolled her eyes so hard when you said, I've never heard of it. <laughs> Truly. Look, at she's still looking at you. Can you feel that? <laughs> the look. The look on her face. When I said that, I meant anywhere in the world. You know, I never... Uh-huh. You know, like movie stars or anything, you know. Yeah. That's what I meant. I I get it. Do you know, I went to Mexico and they were like, eres cristiana? Like, are you cristiana? That's what they kept asking me. And I said, no, I'm Christina. We did that like five times before they they looked up on like Google Translate and they said, are you Christian? Like, do you go to church? (laughs) <laughs> I was like, oh, oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho. So when I uh, finished last time. Mm-hmm. You left everybody on a cliffhanger. Well, a little bit. But uh, the reason I did that is because there's a lot to it. When you make a decision to give your life to Christ, at least speaking for myself, mm-hmm. I can't speak for other people. I knew within myself beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was never going to be a hypocrite about it. Mm-hmm. It had to be a hundred percent or nothing. That's why it took me so long to decide what I was going to do because I, I knew I didn't want to be caught and, yeah, and hypocritical about anything. Mm-hmm. So it took a long time and I never say that to encourage people to take a long time. I'm just saying, make up your mind quick. And just jump in and do it a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, when I when I made that decision, it was because I, you know, I was involved in a lot of things, and I already had my life established in a certain way. And then you try to figure out what you're going to do, how you're going to make that switch, that change. It affects a lot. And uh, right, because people know you how you are. Right. And how they knew you how you were at that time. Yeah. Which um, was a real so and so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, you know, like I was negotiating a contract for uh, uh, wages and benefits. Because you were the union steward. Yeah. Yeah. Where you worked. And uh, when they made a decision, they wanted me to take that position instead of the person that was already in there. And they weren't getting anywhere with it. Um, I, you know, I said if you got that's what you guys want. I did, I wasn't pushing my way in there, mm-hmm. but they all immediately made a decision they wanted me to because I'd been coaxing people for a long time about what had to be done. Mm-hmm. So the very you were like puppet master. Yeah, you, <laughs> kind of and persuasive. Yeah. So when I when I went into the very first meeting. Um, I said, 
uh, you guys are pushing for a strike and a shutdown here because they made that same offer that they made when the other person was in there. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's not going to fly. You know, you guys are going to push for a, a strike. And uh, the question that was asked of me when I first walked in there and sat down was the lead guy that was with the company making uh, their decisions. He said, we're a little bit confused. He said, why in the middle of negotiations does the other person not here and you came in and took over? And I said, because he was confused about what he wanted and I knew exactly what I want. Mm-hmm. And that kind of silenced everybody for a few seconds. <laughs> and... Uh, then when we got going and talking, the, the whole meeting didn't last more than probably 10 or 11 minutes. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I told him, I said, you're pushing for a strike. And the, he came right over the table right in my face and he said, we know there's not going to be one because we were promised there wouldn't be. And that set things off right there. Because you view that as a challenge. Yeah. yeah. And, and so... That was on a Friday, and then on Monday we were out on picket lines, and mm-hmm. we did strike. And the thing was that you know we only had eighteen people to work with, yeah. And we we were all over every place they had business. We were there to picket, and they owned a lot of businesses, so we were spread out two people at a time, and you know you can get a lot done. And they never expected it, never dreamed of it. It was the first time in their history of their business that they ever had a resistance like that. And we we shut it down pretty sternly. In seven weeks, we were out. And the wages and, the, and the benefits really increased at the end of that. The, <clears throat> the type of business was construction-related, construction supplies. Yeah. What time of year was it? It was the first of September when we walked out, and it was so the third. people were still building because we live. Oh, yeah. we we have two seasons here: construction and winter. <laughs> <laughs> Road construction, housing construction, and winter. And really, as long as you get the walls up and the roof on, construction goes well into and through the winter oh, yes. as well. Yes, absolutely. So, like you were hauling drywall, lumber. All that stuff. As long as people put foundations in the ground. Yeah. And they get the basements in, mm-hmm. they're they're good for all year. So if if you guys just shut the whole lumber yard and like, I mean, you they did cabinets. They did everything from plywood to cabinets, right? Yeah. Plus sheetrock. Yeah. And everything you need for that. Everything for a house. Everything. Everything. So. And when we did it, it you know, it, it locked down. Not just in Wisconsin, but other locations. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. all the builders in that area that were using. Yeah. Well, yeah. they did their best to try to supply even with with us out. Yeah. So they had everybody from the office workers, you know, Imagine. and stuff like that came out and tried to do the work that we Dolores were. from accounting is trying to load a truck. Yeah. And drive it. And, oh, they, you know, and they they struggled really bad. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but you got to give it to them, you know. They tried. Yeah. But you know. But you were picketing for a livable wage and benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the part I want to get to is this: that when it ended at seven weeks, <clears throat> the same people that questioned me when I walked in to start the negotiations, that guy came to see me. Yeah. And he said, "I want to make you an offer." And I said, "What's that?" And he said, "I want to give you everything you made last year." And then thirty percent of it on top, if you'll come and work for us instead of the union. He said you got too much con- contact with men to leave you on the other side of the line, and and you turned that down. I did, and because I, you know, um, I had just had a guy tell me that he was going to fire me if it was the last thing he did, and mm-hmm. I thought if I come out from under that protection i'm under right now oh, I, I don't know how long that would last sure six months a year um, i'm sure at the time it felt like a trap it, it somewhat did uh-huh. you know because uh i don't know how sincere he was because i know the guy that was uh, gonna, wanted to fire me i had to work around him all day yeah <laughs> so you know i and the reason i'm telling this is because uh, 
you know, there's an element of power, you know, that everybody likes to have in their life. You know, they like to be in control of something. Particularly, men like that a lot as well. And uh, yeah. when you when you are in that situation, you know, and everything's going well, you know, it's a good feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the same time, when I'm doing this, you know, I'm also in the background um, dealing with the idea of coming to Christ. So... You're trying to reconcile those things. Yeah, and how am I going to pull these together? How am I going to make it work? Mm-hmm. You know, is it, Let me give you an example. Like, you know, when I was smoking as heavy as I smoked, and you know, the vehicles back then didn't have air conditioning like they do nowadays. You always had the window was open on them. Yeah. And whether it's really hot weather outside or it's really sub-zero temperatures, either way, you don't like the windows open, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. You'd like them up with air conditioning. So I was a heavy, heavy smoker. And when people would say, you know, are you going to quit? I'd tell them flat out, no, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you, everything is associated around certain things. So every time they would have a, a meeting, you know that they turned out in the end a total drunk. Mm-hmm. And I was doing all of it. Yeah. But I'm stepping out and running the forefront or the forerunner for everyone. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm looking at living for Christ, all things are going to change. Yeah. Now, I didn't necessarily know the scriptures that well, but the Bible says that when we give our lives to Christ, the old things are passed away and all things become brand new. Mm-hmm. The life you're living is going to end and there's going to be a new new one begin. So when I was battling that, you know, it finally got to a point where I couldn't take it any longer. Mm-hmm. And I made a decision. And I thought, I don't care who's looking. I don't care who's listening. I, I've got to do this. And I made my move to an altar to give my life to Christ. It went a long time. You know, I was really struggling to get into that position with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, one night I went to a meeting and they made it mandatory. Everybody had to be there. And I was going through this and I, I thought. A work meeting? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, I don't want to go. I, you know, and I told them I can't be there. I got other things. And they, they laid it down that either you come or you don't come back to work at all. Mm. This is mandatory. Mm-hmm. So I went. But. All the way there, I kept saying to myself, I don't want to drink. I don't want to drink. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I don't want to. I don't want to. And I got there, and I stepped in the door, and the the guy that I had originally re- replaced in that negotiation situation, him and I were real close, and, you know, if something was going to happen and you're going to fight for something, we'd have each other's backs. Mm-hmm. And I stepped in the door, and I was telling myself the whole time, not to do it, not to do it. Mm-hmm. And I walked in, and he slams me in the chest with a can of beer. And I, out of reflex, mainly, I reached up, and it ended up in my hands. Mm-hmm. Every eye in the place is staring at me. So I made a decision right there. The other way to say it is a compromise. Yep. From everything I said I didn't want to do, I compromised, and I said, I'll open this thing, and I'll just slowly slip it and... I'll always keep some there so I can refuse the next one. Mm-hmm. And I did. I did that all night. And it was about two and a half or three hours I was there. And if somebody had said, would you like another beer? i say, no, I'm still drinking one. When I got done that night, I went home. And, you know, people can take this for what it's worth to them. But when God was dealing with me in such a strong way, and I started to lay down the rules myself mm-hmm. I, I said i am not going to do it i'm not gonna i'm not gonna yeah. i don't want to i did it i went down there and i compromised i drank that not quite a full can of beer mm-hmm. and man did i suffer for three days i got so sick i had dry heaves i you know i, I was just at one point i was sitting on the edge of the tub and right in front of the toilet and and then i reared up and i fell in the tub (laughs) and (laughs) i I was struggling to get out and 
I was so sick. And I was, I just said to God, just let me die. You know? So dramatic. I, oh, I was sick. I know. Horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you know what? Every woman listening is like, yeah. <laughs> and when I, when I got shut up, yeah. you know, and I know the Lord spoke to me. Mm-hmm. And the Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Yeah. You know, because there are people that walk with God. Mm-hmm. Other people benefit from it without realizing. Right. Because the goodness of God is in the earth because of his children. Mm-hmm. So other people get blessed just because of that. But for a split second, God said to me, this is what it'd be like if I really turned my back on you. Mm-hmm. There would be no protection, no healing. You you want to live that way? Go ahead, you know. Yeah. And uh, I really got a quick revelation right there. Mm-hmm. But I made that decision to go a hundred percent. And uh, you know, the Bible also says Jesus said to people, you know, if you love your father, your mother, brother, or sister more than you love me, you're not fit for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. The first commandment is that you have him for God and no others. Right. When you see the scriptures and how serious God is about the relationship, mm-hmm. it's 100% or nothing. The scriptures that are in the Word of God that talk about adultery, most of them are speaking to the relationship of people with Him. Mm-hmm. Some of them are humans yeah. dealing with adultery in mm-hmm. situations. But mo- the majority of the scriptures about that are talking about the relationship that people are supposed to be involved with God, mm-hmm. one with Him, and the Bible literally says whoring around with the world and not being dedicated to them. Yeah. When I made that decision, it was um, going all the way, and it really upset a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously. And when even these people that I worked with, that I felt I accomplished a lot for them in benefits and um, their wages, their health insurances, the eye insurance, dental insurance, vacation plans, and mm-hmm. all these things, they, they benefited so mightily from it. And when I gave my life to Christ, it turned everybody upside down. They got so upset. Mm-hmm. One day there was a dozen of them coming, they were in front of me, and one spokesperson for them, and he was just screaming. And he says, you know, if you would have come to work one day and said, I don't smoke anymore, and then two or three months later come and say, I don't drink anymore, you know, a few months later come and say, I don't do this. But he said... All this change overnight, he says, nobody can put up with it, you know, and he's yeah. just screaming. And I stayed very calm, and I said, I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. God did. I said, I couldn't quit smoking if I wanted to, smoking as badly as I was. I, I couldn't accomplish that. So I'd tell people flat out, no, I'm never going to quit. But when I turned it over to God and he took it, then, you know, that that made things simpler mm-hmm. and the testimony was there that i didn't do it the lord god did it but people could not handle it mm-hmm. and uh it becomes a kind of a lonely stretch for a while not only them but family family turned you know yeah they couldn't handle it everybody had their own ideas that it was going to be a phase when i finally got out of it everything would be back to normal because mm-hmm. there are people that are like that Yes, too they, often. But <clears throat> often I've found that they're the center of their story, not Jesus. And it's like attention almost that they're seeking. Or they come to God because they want something in particular. And, you know, they're in a po- at a point of desperation. And then it doesn't happen immediately or the way that they think. And then they kind of punt on God. Right. And so... A lot of people, especially if they're looking, if they're skeptical, they look at people that are trying to be Christian. They have confirmation bias, right? So they're already skeptical and they already have it in their mind that people are going to fail or that it's fake. And then every time someone does, they're like, see, yep, that proves my point. And they look for those. Meanwhile, disregarding people like yourself or like, the, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that come to Christ and develop a rich relationship with him and devote their lives to him, you know, through ministry and other things. Yeah, when I uh, made that decision, there were 
they immediately wanted to vote me out of that position. And I tried to tell them, I said, I became safe, not stupid. <laughs> right. I knew the difference between right and wrong. Yeah. No matter what I was doing. But they were so angry about it, they immediately voted me out. Hmm. And, you know, I, I would tell people, just relax. You know, yeah. just relax in God. He's God. He, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And in the end, all people stand before the same God. Right. He made all people, and all people have to come to him. But the Bible distinctly says that God created all things for himself, that we would all come back to him. Mm-hmm. And that's a decision everybody has to make. Even with my own family, you know, they, they all turn their backs on me mm-hmm. when I gave my life to Christ. And to this day, I can't speak for any of them that they have made their way to Jesus. I, uh, you know, there's no evidence of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Bible says that when somebody gets born again, all old things are passed away and all things become new. Yeah. And, the, you know, a liar will never lie again. A mm-hmm. thief will never steal again. You know, it goes on and on, and there's there's a complete change that takes place. So when um, we we think about you know the world we're in, and I want to say this: when when um, I got into the Word of God and began to read it mm-hmm. and read it for myself, you find out that Adam and Eve, in the beginning, God created a beautiful place for them. Yeah, a Garden of Eden. And everything they possibly needed in life was in there. Mm-hmm. Now, we're, we're not in that garden, but we have similar situations yeah. today. So they're in the garden and they have everything they could possibly want. But in that garden, God put a tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And he said to them, he said, you can eat of anything you want here. And the good side of that, the flip side of that was that there was nothing they had to do because everything was perfect. The only thing he had to do was Adam had a charge from God to protect the garden. Right. Now, that's a big thing, okay, mm-hmm. because God, uh, I'm, I'm saying today we can have the same blessings, but God would tell us the same thing, protect right. it. So when they're in the garden, you know, the knowledge of good and evil was there, and God didn't want them to know evil. Right. They didn't have, they have no knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. What evil was even existed, right? right? So here they are, and all of a sudden she gets visited by the devil, mm-hmm. and he questioned her. He said, and you know Satan does that a lot with people. He's never changed. He questions them to see how knowledgeable they really are, or how so steadfast. He, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he questioned her. He said, "Well, you can't eat of any." thing in the garden and she said well we can eat of that one everything except for that one tree and why is that well god told us not to and he said well the only reason he didn't want you to eat of that is because then you'd be just like him mm-hmm. and he said that's the only difference you'd be just like him and unbeknown to her apparently they were like god he created them in his image and likeness right Back then, they were light beings. And uh, when the, the day they ate of that fruit, the light went out. Yeah. And they were strictly flesh. They lost a lot mm-hmm. at that time, everything. And God had to take them out of the garden. And he put angels with flaming swords of fire to hold them out. Because if they would have ate of that tree of life, then they would have stayed for an eternity in that position. So God was doing everything he could for humanity. Which, it's a bit of a digression, but whenever people are making an argument for marijuana and the use of marijuana, they always go, well, why would God create a plant? And then, and it's his creation, and then prohibit you from using it. And I always say, that's literally the first thing he did. (laughs) That's literally the first thing he did. (laughs) So, he would do that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I always make that. Well, you did statement. because he he told him not to eat of something that was going to hurt him, right? And yeah. uh, you know, the further that 
to the fullest extent is your reliance is supposed to be totally on him. Yeah. Not a plant. Right. You know, when they got kicked out, God started working a way to bring people back to him. Mm-hmm. And he's worked at it for many years. And we have a lot to cover. We will in times to come. I did have enough understanding when I made that decision that I, cu- I could not mess around with it. Mm-hmm. I had to either please him or displease him. It, it, it had to be that way. Mm-hmm. So when I dove into that, the the uh, road got lonely <laughs> in a sense. So everybody I worked around with, you know, affiliated with, family, they all turned their backs, mm-hmm. waiting for me to come back home to them. Is it because they took your abstinence of certain things as passive judgment on the way that they live. I feel like that's probably prevalent and common. So like, it's not that you, and maybe you did outright say like, you need to stop doing what you're doing and living the way that you're living because you need to be saved and God has better in store for you. But I don't recall ever saying that to anyone. Right. Maybe I did, but I don't recall it. But they observe the change in your life. Yeah. And they take that as some sort of passing passive judgment on the way that they're living. I find that to be the case a lot. Like if you abstain from drinking, for example, people without prompting from you, they'll start to explain to you why it's okay that they have one. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Um, the other thing is that that's technically right. Yeah. What you just said. Because the scriptures say that the judge, the saints will judge the earth. Uh huh. Okay. Now, what uh, what I take of that, I'm going to give you my take. All right. Yeah. My take is this that when judgment takes place, it's not there yet. Uh-huh. God's going to have a judgment day for everyone, myself, right. everybody else. So when that judgment day comes, he's going to be able to say, you know, somebody will be standing here that fully gave 100% of their life and give the best ability they could to serve him Yeah, and do it like the scriptures say. When somebody else stands in judgment and they say they have a hundred excuses why they couldn't, he will just merely wave his arm around to somebody that didn't say, well, they did. I just what, heard somebody talking about this. What's your excuse? And they said, when you go before the Bema seat, imagine a long line. And he said, what are you going to do if you're standing behind Paul, the Apostle Paul, in line? And he goes first, and he outlines all these things that he did to further the kingdom. Or maybe he turns to you while you're in line, and he says, what all did you do? And like, what are you going to say? And he (laughs) said, there's people that are going to say, well, like, I went, I mean, I went to church yeah you know yeah and like what do you can you imagine like it's not just gonna be like you you know like there's other people that are gonna be judged on the same day and like can you imagine god first talking to the apostle paul and and addressing him and then he's like all right next and you get up there what did you do what did you do? Now you have to give account for your walk right after somebody like that. I mean, there's people, you know what I mean? It really put things into perspective. Well, when I when I made that decision, you know, I um, I didn't know a lot of scripture. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. But, you know, when, when God talks in Romans chapter 1, and he, he says there that he put a conscience in every person, Mm-hmm. to know his existence is real yeah it's from the very foundations of the earth there's so much witness of god's reality mm-hmm. and he gave everybody a conscience to know the difference between right and wrong you know when adam and eve fell in that garden they were strictly told by god do anything you want except for one thing yeah one don't eat of that tree and they turned around and did it that put humanity on a path of destruction mm-hmm. and god had to make a plan to re- redeem them mm-hmm. but you know the bible clearly tells us there was no sin until he was able to give moses the commandments 
Otherwise, nobody knew the difference between right and wrong. Everything was okay. Mm-hmm. But he had to draw a line so people knew when they crossed it. And the Ten Commandments came. They didn't, so it wasn't like written, but like they must have had shame because that's why they hid themselves, right? Right. From him. And that's why I'm saying that conscience is important. Yeah, because that was innate. There was no written law of morality. No. They had an innate morality yeah. that was God-given. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the reason he put it in humanity mm-hmm. because, you know, he, he's trying to let them know, you know, I'm here with you. Right. You turn your back on me, you turn your back on me, but I'm here with you. Mm-hmm. So when he come come to Moses, he called him up on the mount and he gave him the Ten Commandments and he brought him back down to show people this is the law now. Yeah. You cross this law and then you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And it started the difference between right and wrong mm-hmm. because people needed something a little plainer to see. All right. So as we travel and we do this, you know, I, I, I have a lot of people talk about that. And, you know, if people want to drink, drink. You know, I just try to help them by saying I did and it didn't do any good. I've never witnessed anything really good coming out of any of it. I've I seen a lot of destruction. But very little good would ever be found by it. Mm-hmm. I just, it, you know, it just hit me one day that um, when it comes to alcohol, mm-hmm. I will say this first. There's a, over 100 scriptures that talk about people drinking strong drink. Yeah. It talks about against it. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, Jesus turned the water to wine. Well, if you read the scriptures correctly, you'll find out he didn't. And when he, when that thing because happened, context matters. And when that thing yeah. happened, you know, mm-hmm. what he did was he turned it into grape juice. If you read it properly, even the host of the whole uh, procedure said, normally, when they were, when they bring the good stuff out in the beginning, and then they drink that and they work into the hard stuff. Yeah, and it's reversed in scripture. And he mm-hmm. said, you brought the good out. The good was not fermented. Yeah. So he brought the good out in the end of it. And everybody mm-hmm. was already inebriated. They didn't know what they were drinking. So they drank the good and they thought it was good. You know, they thought they were still drinking, you know, fermented wine. Mm-hmm. But Jesus, when he talks about wine, he talks about the pure wine, grape juice. So when the scriptures are read properly, you can just annihilate that thought. We look at the work that God goes through to try to get people to come to him. When you see the destruction, the marriage problems, you know, the people dying from alcohol. There's I, a lot. Yes, there is. And Young people, my age. Absolutely. You know. And it's horrible. Yeah. But, and look at all these people that would still be alive and marriages that would be healthy if it wasn't for that. All right? Mm-hmm. So I say this, that God can't override a will. That's just the way he is. Right. He gives everybody a will. You either will to be with him or you don't. Yeah. And he wouldn't have a, a fine relationship if he forced everybody to be there. Mm-hmm. And that's why the whole thing is set up the way it is. You either want to be God's child or you don't. He puts the law and he says, this is the law. All right. And I always tell people the law is on God's side. Mm-hmm. He started the law. It's his. So, I mean, when you got saved, though, you didn't have all this knowledge. And you didn't know, like, the scriptures and stuff that were against drinking alcohol and intoxication you just simply changed and modified your behavior i did it because of the seen the destruction right yeah but the visceral reaction from people wasn't to you spouting scripture no it was to the modification and the change in your behavior yeah yeah and in the idea that it gave glory to god for doing it yeah and that, that's as simple as it was though yeah which is fascinating and really alarming to a certain degree that just merely cleaning up your act and giving God the credit for it was that upsetting to people. You know, I, 15, 20 years ago, I was listening to a man on a TV. Uh-huh. He was a preacher. And he came out and he walked out in front of 10, 12,000 people. I don't know how many were there. Yeah. I just know that when the cameras fanned around, there was a lot it of people. A lot. Yeah. And I'm just guessing about ten, twelve thousand 12,000 people must have been there. He walks out, he stands in front of them all, 
silent for a few seconds. And then he said, what is sin? And he went silent again. And it was really awkward. I wasn't even there. Right. And he was he left such a long pause in there. And then after a little while, he said, now I would guess that some of you, because of the circumstances in your lives and things that you've been through, some of you would say murder. Murder is a horrible sin mm -hmm. that people have to pay a price for. He said, if it affected your life, somebody say adultery. Yep. If your homes are broken up and divorced and things like that because of uh, adultery going on. He said, another one might be thinking this or this or this. And he named like 15 things that people yeah. would judge as sin. Mm -hmm. And then he said, I'm going to tell you what I think sin is. I think sin is a separation you put between you and God. And the more that distance opens up, the more of those things you're thinking are sin get in there. Mm -hmm. So these are the effects of sin. And I thought, wow, that's good. Mm -hmm. The farther we are from God, the more the effects come in. Yeah. And things that aren't good for a person, they're not good for a family, they come in. Yeah. So with that in mind, we look at how God set everything up, and he does, does everything in his power to get us to come to him. Now, he, when he went to the cross, he died for every one of us. He died mm -hmm. for every individual. Every person can stop and say, he did that for me. Just shout out everybody and just think about you and him, just you and him. Mm -hmm. And he's, you say, he did that for me. Now, when, when I got serious about it, you know, I, had, I learned a lot fast once I get made the decision. Mm -hmm. And God just opened things up to me really and quick. And you were hungry for it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I could sit down with a, no problem and read the entire book of Philippians and, you know, maybe on a journey somewhere and read Ephesians on the way back. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. my spirit was so hungry, I couldn't stop. Basically, humanity's walking dead people. And we are because the spiritual part of people died the day Adam did what he did. And God had to get us back to a place where we spiritually come alive. Because it's going to be, the Bible says that it's not flesh and blood that inherits the kingdom of heaven. It's flesh and spirit. Mm -hmm. And spiritually, people have died, and God wants them lit back up. When, it, when that rejection comes in there, you've seen it with uh, all kinds of characters in the Bible. They mm -hmm. were rejected totally by humanity when they gave their lives to Christ. In the days of the Bible, you know, people risked their life by giving their, to, to themselves to Jesus. They walked out their door. They could get killed for being a Christian. Mm-hmm. And they took that risk because they, their heart was crying out. You know, sometimes I think we get too far, especially in the United States. People say we've been in a time of peace for too long. That's why there's so much complacency in people, especially like younger generations, because they have no idea what it's like to be in a situation of persecution and war. And like people are, they disassociate or like are simply unaware and ignorant of what it was actually like, like in the New Testament church, like in in Rome. Yeah. And people had small house meetings underground. They had to remain hidden. If they got caught, they would be taken to like, you know, the Colosseums. And they would like let lions tear them apart for entertainment. Exactly. For entertainment, the stadiums would be full. Those big coliseums that you see still today in Greece and Rome, they would be where the gladiators would fight. They would ha to bring out Christians and let dogs tear them apart, and yeah. people would cheer. I mean, the debauchery and the sin and the... I don't think people can fathom it. And, like, we have people right now in are churches that like they shop for a church based on like the stage design, the t worship band and whether or not they serve coffee in the morning and enough lights. And, yeah. Yeah. Which is bananas to me. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's a, I'm not judging people. got to be careful when they use that. Don't judge me, you know, lest you be judged. That verse wasn't put there for that, but there's realities that yeah. are out there. And, uh, it's just like you just said. Well, a lot of uh, people today, they don't realize that uh, the intimacy of God is there. Yeah. He had that with Adam and Eve. 
He would come to them in the cool of the day and visit with them. And that's what he wants with people. We have an opportunity to be even closer because of the Holy Spirit. And think of all these people, these pillars of our faith, like in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Right. And now we've got a blessing that they never had. You know, the Bible says they yearned to have the day we have. Right. They didn't get it. Yeah. They knew it was possibly coming. I don't know. Yeah. But we did get it. And uh, Christ made that way. But, you know, he's a very loving God, but he's very strict. You know, he he doesn't let, you know, it's like people want to be so loose, they let their kid run out across a highway in front of traffic. You know, you wouldn't do that if you had a sane mind. You you would just stop your child. God knows the the view of everything. He's got that view. Mm -hmm. And he knows when he has to stop us, you know, to let us have a little more life on earth. And he'll do his best to do that without, unless people get in his way and they totally push him out. But he, his purpose is to bring us to him. So can I ask you a question? Did anybody at that time, that the, the people that you worked with, did, did any of them get saved? Like, did they see what was going on with you? Um, there was a, quite a while that went by. Yeah. All right. Um, and finally, maybe I should back up a little bit before I answer that question. So don't forget it. We'll come back to it. Okay. When I got saved, I mean, it was 100%. Yeah. All right. And I keep emphasizing that because you can't walk in hypocrisy with God. Yeah. Hypocrisy is one way to look at it. Another way would be you get in a new relationship with someone. Mm-hmm. Jealousy. But, <laughs> but you want to keep your old relationship. Like, I'll spend, you know, 360 nights a year with you. But five of those nights, I'm still going to hang out and spend time with my old flame. Yeah. Is that fine? Like, that's what you're saying. You didn't go into um, a relationship with God saying, I'm going to give you 360 days of my year. And five of those days, I'm going to go be who I used to be. You you went all in. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's why I mentioned earlier that the scriptures on uh, adultery pertain to spiritual things. Right. You know, we're, we are more spirit than we are flesh and blood, everybody. Yeah. And they got to come to that realization. Right. I had to. Yep. If you don't realize, you know, it's going to be too late. Yeah. But you are more spiritual than you are flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. So uh, flesh and spirit are going to be the ones that are taken when the heaven opens up and people have to leave this earth to go there. Yeah. So when I got baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, which was quite a challenge in itself, because I, I went through a lot. But I want to jump ahead and say this, that when I gave my life to Christ, mm-hmm. all these people turned against me immediately. And they didn't want nothing to do with me. Yeah, I mean, they'd tolerate me as far as the job went. You know, if we have to be with you for the day, we'll be with you. But, you know, they didn't want friendship anymore. Mm-hmm. So here I am, baptized in the Holy Ghost, and uh, a person got fired from the job. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they tracked this person. They had dozens of pages of documented theft. Because you're a union, they needed reason. Yeah. Yeah. They had to really have it together, otherwise they wouldn't ever make the attempt. Yeah. So they documented all the theft. No one he punched out when he was, you know, um, when he should have been punched out, he wasn't, you mm-hmm. know, just stealing time. They watched him steal materials. They photographed him. He'd take materials, take them to his house, unload them. He'd go, when he had unloaded them, then he'd put them away in his garage, and then he'd stay home for three, four, or five hours, and then he'd get back in a truck and leave and go finish the rest of his deliveries. Mm-hmm. You know, so they got him documented uh, on materials. They got him documented on time theft. card. Yeah. yeah, and all that, and they had page after page after page after page, and then they fired him. So here I am. I just got released from what I was doing because they didn't trust me anymore because I gave my life to Christ. Mm-hmm. All right? So here I am with my heart just burning because of this situation. Three days and three nights, I never slept. Right. I was working all day, sitting up at night, and this man was on my heart mm-hmm. that got fired. And finally on the third day, you know, it was a Friday going into Saturday morning, sitting on the edge of the bed at three in the morning. And I said to the Lord, I said, what do you want me to do? And he told me very clearly, pray his job back. 
and immediately I started to question God. And I, I said, on, and I got that far. On, I was going to say, on what basis? You know, because he was there for theft. And he said, that'll be dealt with, with between me and him. Then, you know, I, I was still full of questioning. He said, you're doing it because of his family. Mm-hmm. His wife and his children are going to suffer. So it prays job back for them. So I immediately, in the morning, like 7 to 30 in the morning, I called another couple. I asked them to come to the house. And they came over. And the other call I made was to the man that lost his job. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, you're going to get your job back today. I want you to come over to my house. He said, really? Did the union call you? And I said, no, God did. I said, we're going to pray for your job. You want to come? And he stuttered and stammered. And he said, oh, I'm busy, blah, 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 blah you know. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, I said, I don't need you. I said, I got God. I don't need you. But I said, I was giving you the opportunity to be involved in it. Right. And he wouldn't come. But we did it. We held the Bible up, opened up scriptures, you know, that God said two or three gather together in my name and pray for something in my name. I'll, you'll be blessed with it, you know. Different scriptures. We all held the Bible up, open, held it up to God and said, we're going to stand on these words that are spoken mm-hmm. by you. And w- when we did that, we prayed for his job. Now, God, the Bible very clearly in he- Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible mm-hmm. to please God. Impossible to please God. So with that in mind, I took to praying that job back for that man, along with three other people. And now the difference between the four of us was I had to go to work and walk that out. The others didn't have to go there. But I had to go and act like that job was back because we just prayed for it. Now, anybody that's listening, I want you to just pay attention to this. How do people even know if they have faith? You know, because everybody knows God's existence. Mm -hmm. It's a given. They know he exists because the Bible tells you they do. Yeah. All right. So down inside, nobody can actually, you know, it's like somebody telling me they're an atheist, and I'll say, well, I can't agree with you <laughs> because the Bible says you're not because yeah. there's a witness in your own being that he's existing, okay? So, you know, I don't take that agreement at all. Now, when, when you say this and you walk this out, mm-hmm. I had to go to work, and the very first thing that happened was they'd give me a clipboard with a line of tickets of loads that I had to take out. Mm-hmm. And from the very get-go, that that next Monday morning, I would take that clipboard and give it back to him, and I'd say, why don't you have the guy that got fired do it? And they'd say, he doesn't work here anymore, and they'd throw it back at me. We'd go through that routine. If I had a load that a set of loads that were taking me out for the whole day, we'd do it that time. If I went back and I had to start a different set of circumstances, I'd do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I never stopped doing that. I'd walk in a break room. No wonder they were so irritated with you. <laughs> but yeah. But I'd walk in a break room and sit down and I'd look mm-hmm. around and I'd say, Where's Carl? You know? mm-hmm. And they'd say, He's not here. And they'd shake their heads and look the other direction. And and I lived that way. I lived that way. I, I went over to a, a, a depot where you had to pick up certain materials and I got out of the vehicle and three guys gathered around me and they say, Hey, we heard of what happened, you know? And I, the one that said it to me, I looked in my right face and I said, you want to do yourself a favor? I said, don't spread that rumor any further. Mm-hmm. I said, God gave that job back. And we lived that way. I just right. lived that way. And it was months that went by. There was a turmoil that started within the company through yeah. leadership arguing because one guy wanted to hire somebody to replace him because there was threats coming that people are going to quit purchasing there because they weren't delivering on time. Mm-hmm. And it got so chaotic. It was just out of this world. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting back at peace in my spirit because I know that God gave that job back. And then one day I was coming back and, and the Lord spoke to me very clearly in my spirit. And he said, your faith has been on the line long enough. I've worked all circumstances his job's been given back to him. Mm-hmm. And man, I wanted to just jump and scream. And I I got out of the vehicle because I just got back to that depot, you know. Mm-hmm. And I looked around and everybody had seen me take off the other direction. Everybody thought I was deserving of a straight jacket about that time. Mm-hmm. I ran into the office and I grabbed the phone and I called my wife and I said, God just spoke to me and told me that that's a fulfillment. God, he's given that guy's job back. And immediately after that, they made the manager go on a vacation. 
Mm-hmm. They told him he had to leave for a week. And then the minute he was gone, they called the dispatcher and told him to call him back to work. And he tried to question it. They told him it's none of his business. Just do what he's told. And he called him and he told him he had to be back to work the next Monday. When that all went down, they kept trying to give the union the credit for what just took place. And I said, if you don't give God the glory here, mm-hmm. I'm done. I'm not dealing with you guys anymore like that. You know, but when... You know, and I was talking about as far as union was concerned. Yeah. Not God. I just told him, you you got to give glory where glory is due. And they actually called a meeting to make it official that I was going out and somebody else taking my place. Mm-hmm. So they had somebody come up from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and from the Teamsters. And he said, well, so what's going on here? And I said, well, they called this meeting because I said, I'm stepping down as the rep and somebody's taking my place. And, and he said, well, who's taking your place? And the, the guy was right next to me, you know. Mm-hmm. And I talked to him ahead of time, and I said, you sure you want to do this? Because I said, you know, you're going to have to handle a lot of situations that are not pleasant. And he says, anything you do, I can do better. And I said, <laughs> okay. So, you know, I, I told him, and then the guy said, well, that sounds simple enough. Give me a show of hands. Who wants him out? And every hand went up. Mm-hmm. Well, who wants this guy in? They all, every hand went back up. He said, well, that was simple enough. He says, the end of the meeting. And the guy that got his job back was sitting way in the back. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, we can close now. And he said, can I ask a question first? And the guy said, yeah, go ahead. And he said, how did I get my job back? And he was sitting back with his hands folded on his chest when that question was asked. He sat back up in the chair, and he opened up this folder right in front of him, and he pulled one sheet of paper out with a real short statement on it. And it come from a law firm in New York. Mm-hmm. And he said, this is a legal firm that handles their work. And he says, it states on here, the name is so-and-so, and I'm not going to use his name openly right now. His job will be reinstated on this date, and his work record will never show a firing. And he threw the paper down, sat back, folded his hands on his chest, and he said, young man, he said, I don't know. But he said, the only thing I do know is you ought to thank God. And I stood up, turned around, faced them all, and I said, amen, and I walked out. Mm-hmm. Because God flat out did a miracle. And the man that was running the place, when he came back, he was just beside himself when he found out he was working there. Mm. Oh, he just went totally ballistic. And I tried to be gentle with him and try to explain to him, but at that point time, he was so mad, he just kicked me out. So time is running out. I'm going to close for today, and I hope you all tune back in to hear a little more about this. We appreciate you, and have a good day. <laughs>